Greetings both history fans and film fans. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at History and Film. It's a good way to know when new episodes drop or just see other interesting history or film tidbits. And if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at simmons at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome to History and Film. He's Logan Denning. <laughs> What's up? And that's Rich Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> Caught me off guard. Gotta keep you on your toes. <laughs> so we are kind of in the middle still of our we'll call this maybe it's not a hiatus it's our just our extended uh bonus stuff and gap filler i don't know what you want to call it we're we're in, our, we're in the the between times we finished up world history in 100 movies did a tournament to wrap all that up and we're going to get into american history starting again from the beginnings there and in the meantime we're just kind of doing some other things this is our second time talking about The Crown. We're going to look at season two of The Crown. And this isn't a super, super deep dive. This is honestly just Logan and I having a conversation. And most of that conversation will focus around season two of, of The Crown. So I'm sure there's other podcasts that give a much more in-depth episode-by-episode breakdown. This is more just us talking about it. It's been a couple of years since I've seen season two. So we're just going to kind of talk about some of the things they hit upon and kind of go from there and again i should mention too i i honestly ever since prince philip died i'm just really worried about the the queen just because it's super common for you know older couples to die within close proximity to each other and the fact that we're recording this in june of 2021 when it's not going to air until next spring yeah so just know that just know that i again as we've said before god save the queen but we're just recording so far ahead of time i'm a little nervous about these episodes but it, it is it is what it is, and hopefully she's still around when this airs. And I, I expect she will be. I expect she will be. I've actually been saying for uh, for decades. I remember like in high school, I just kind of had she already had you know such a long reign going that my theory has always been that she'll outlive Charles. And I, I think he's in fine health too. And I mean, oh, I, yeah. And just uh, I mean, he's he's seventy two. Theory he, though, he's just he's seventy two now. You just, you get it, 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 I don't know. You just never know. Not that I'd be. I don't know why. Yeah. I just thought it was an interesting thought that, you know. I mean, hey, it's happened before. No, absolutely. And now when I first had <laughs> when I first had that thought, I always saw it as a, oh, wouldn't that stink that you basically, you know, been this heir apparent your whole life and then you, you know, your mom lives so long that you just die before you get the chance to become king. But kind of the one thing from watching the show that I do feel is probably somewhat accurate is the idea that yeah he'd probably be fine with that if he just never had to deal with being king he'd probably be totally okay with that and yeah i mean not that he wants to die young but like right well he's already in his 70s no right right i wonder if she's gonna live to be like 120 (laughs) like wouldn't that be like some some like crazy historical coincidence like the oldest person ever to live in the uk just happened to be born you know the queen and right, she used to right. be like 120 and she yeah just like we got 30 more years of <laughs> oh i guess 25 more yeah, years that'd be awesome i am all for that <laughs> <laughs> yes long may she reign <laughs> and she's just she's just so adorable i just you see her just anyway uh i'm, I'm a fan and of the show of course <laughs> so i did kind of go through last time we really didn't have super specific notes so i did kind of go through and do a little research on kind of some bullet pointed things that we can kind of talk about here so I don't remember the timeline of the first season, but it did mention, and of course they have flashbacks that are kind of outside of this timeline. 
but it does say season two covers 1956 to 1964. So an eight year window yeah. here. And that's, that's something that is kind of like, especially going back and trying to look at what happened. I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last episode or not, but because I watched this show so late after it came out, like I watched all of season one and immediately went into season two mm. and wasn't even so like in my mind, I'm not even really sure what stuff like there's stuff that I know for sure is season two, like her meeting JFK. I know is for sure season two. There's some other stuff, but like because of, you know, obviously all the cast is the same. And then because of all the flashbacks that they're doing, it's like, oh, did they flash back to that in season one or season oh, two? Right, like, when did right. they go back and look at that stuff? But no, and it's a blur for me too because I, I didn't watch it as it came out. I don't know if I watched season one. I think I watched season one when season two was already out. So I probably had a similar thing. And then, of course, even longer ago. So I'll even get confused on wait, when did they cast the, you know, how old was the actor who played Charles in season two? Like, I forget even stuff like that. Because in my mind, it's the same guy from season four. But I'm like, I don't think that's right. Right. Yeah. And and th- this is just from a, a show-making perspective here. But I, I never really thought about how it would affect some viewers to see a complete cast. Instead of just aging up your cast that you have to actually, after, you know, do season one and season two and then recast the entire thing. Which I get that they kind of have to do because of how much time has passed. Right. But that is alienating to some viewers. Oh, is it? Like, my wife has still... Well, my wife still hasn't watched season four because she got, like, halfway through season three. And she's like, I don't really, like, care about these characters anymore because I I watched season one and two. And then they switched the whole cast. And, like, it, I'm just not really... It just doesn't... You know, it's just not the same. I, like, she, I, yeah. she liked the characters, but, like, as the way that they were being played by those actors. So then when they switched them up, it's like, she's like, ah, it's kind of hard just to get invested in it. Oh, interesting. And I actually think what they did is is genius. If you are going to cover, you know, Queen Elizabeth from the time she's, you know, in her early 20s up into probably her 80s for when they get to season five and season six. And, yeah, I, I think if you go in knowing that's the case, I, I kind of like it. And then I, mean, I kind of see where she's coming from because I do I do get annoyed when there's unnecessary casting changes. But at the same time, when you're covering so mm-hmm. much time and it'd be like watching a play or something like. Yeah, it, there's a suspension of disbelief, and these, these are now the people, and of course they're getting great people to do it, and yeah, but I kind of see what she's saying, where it's right. like, because no, you kind of, yeah, there's cross, there's overlap. Yeah, and like, I, I, I understand, like, why they did it, and I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but it, it's, uh, I don't know, that was just a, a funny observation in, in our household to see the difference oh, in yeah. uh, reaction between... Because I, you know, season three comes out and I'm like, oh, Olivia Coleman, hell yeah. Like, this is going to be so sick. Right. And she's and like, why? Is like, she, yeah. mm, I don't know. I kind of like Claire Foy. Like, is. <laughs> and they just like put some makeup on her or something. <laughs> uh, which is, yeah, which is, of course, the, the common ways things like that have been handled. Well, be- and because they do do that. Like, they do... Right. If it were a single movie, you would do that. Right. You're right. Well, and they do it in the show. Like, uh, Tobias, uh, is it M- Menzies? The guy who plays Prince Philip in seasons three and four? Yeah. He's aged up significantly. He doesn't look that old in real life. Oh, right, right. And, well, and even, like, uh, Winston Churchill. John, uh, like, you know. He, John Lithgow? Yeah, John Lithgow. Like, they, you know, they, they do a fair amount of makeup for him. I mean, he's not as much as, as, uh, Prince Philip from seasons three and four, but, like, they do do that for some characters so it's like oh well if you're gonna do that if you're gonna cast people that you then have to age up anyway why not just age up the original cast yeah that's fair because when you look at uh claire foy and olivia coleman and 
it's going to be, oh man, I, I thought I'd figure, I remember her name by the time I got there. It's uh, Dolores Umbridge from... Uh, I was just I was just gonna say <laughs> it's, it's yeah Dolores Umbridge, <laughs> uh, Amela, Amela Stanton and Amela Stanton right that they're not super it's, I think they're only about ten to fifteen years apart each you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. so it's not like they cast a twenty year old a forty year old and a sixty year old it's more like they cast a thirty year old right. a forty year old and a fifty year old <laughs> roughly right I mean I'm rounding there but yeah anyway I guess I guess I see the issues but uh it does it doesn't bother me but I I can kind of see where she's coming from I always think of like. Because I preferred Richard Harris as Dumbledore and Harry Potter to Michael Gambon. I mean, Gambon was fine. He was just different. Mm-hmm. And I preferred the right. Richard Harris style of, of Dumbledore. And I reg- you know, I really wish we could have gotten the full series with Richard Harris. But when he dies in real life, that's, uh, that's tough. Right. But like nowadays, you know, may- maybe not. Anymore. Well, maybe you can just... <laughs> there's gonna be there's there's gonna be a continuing debate as technology gets better on that on what's uh what's allowed and what's what's ethical and what's legal and like who has the rights yeah. to cast Humphrey Bogart in a movie in 2025 you know right is does his estate get paid or is he's is he fair use how does that work yeah. he's an actual person right I hope we don't do that I hope we just get talented actors that are alive to do stuff but at the same time I I guess I can kind of see like in certain situations like uh you know if you're making like in Rogue One, okay, we need someone to be Tarkin, which that CG sucked anyway. Like he right. was like a video game character. Yes, but I see how it's not really the same if you just cast someone who kind of looks like him. Like, is the audience really going to know? And I don't know. I like I don't think it's that big of a deal. I can suspend my disbelief, uh, especially when it comes to casting choice for a reason. Like the person isn't alive anymore. Right. But, right. But I, I can also see how there are studios who are like, no, we can't trust the audience to suspend their disbelief and like think that you know this character that we want to be played by uh, Marlon Brando, we can't just get someone else and put him in makeup or whatever. Like we just need to make a CGI Marlon Brando and get an AI to do his voice or whatever. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, and I and I like the Tarkin one is a great example because they kind of shot around it for, and then they kind of have the almost a reveal of his face, and then the big reveal is, haha, see, the technology is not as good as we seem to think it is. Exactly. Yeah. I. I and <laughs> we're get we're getting so off track here. But <laughs> in Rogue One, the first time that you see him, it's in a reflection of the glass as he's turned away from the camera. I'm like. Oh, that's perfect because you don't. The CGI doesn't right. have to be that good. Yep, it's believable the way it is now. But yeah, then he turns around. And it's a close up. And you're just like, oh god, no! Turn right. back around, please. Right. Like, let me just do the reflection. It's fine. So obviously, the big thing with the crown is you hear you know British people supposedly saying that you know darn Americans taking this as stuff as historical fact. And I think season one it seemed pretty accurate. We really didn't find any discrepancies. Season two, there was a couple things. Actually, the big one, let's start with the big one, where there's a couple here that I have written down, where I basically did find an article straight up talking about, here's where they got it wrong, and here's why mm-hmm. this is a little disingenuous. So, uh, a lot of season two talks about Prince Philip's supposed infidelities, and, you know, Qu- uh, Queen Elizabeth finds the picture of the ballerina, and, and kind of assumes an affair, right. and when she confronts him about it months or even years later, that he doesn't deny it. So there have been rumors, and it's real life now, there, ha- there were rumors over the decades of him possibly being unfaithful at times, but there is zero proof. So while it's possible, it's very possible. I mean, any long-term marriage like that, and you know, they're traveling all the way, it's possible. I'm not saying it's not possible, but right. there's actually no evidence of it. There's just rumors. Right. And he supposedly said, 
course, I mean, you would say this, I guess, either way. But he basically said, like, um, I have security around me 24-7. When exactly would I do this? <laughs> yeah, but also, like... No, right. Not that that's not... I don't I think know. that necessarily matters. I don't think that's... that's, that's <laughs> right. That's almost an excuse or an alibi that almost makes me more suspicious, <laughs> frankly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then his personal secretary, and again, a guy who would come to bat for him anyway, but his personal secretary... This actually predates the show. His personal secretary told uh, a newspaper in 2004... That no, Prince Philip's always been faithful, and that was like long before the the series. Obviously, even even that, I feel like if that's one of those things, like if you have to say it, it almost makes me think that it's not true. No, and honestly, that was my thought as well. But at the same time, I mean, you don't know if there's ever a rumor, true or not, you have to address it. I guess it's some ex- I don't right. Know. The, yeah, that that doesn't that doesn't necessarily make me think like oh, that's evidence of you know of infidelity. But it's like. It's not evidence of anything because either way, that's what they're going to say. If it's true, they're going to say, no, no you're right. You're and right. If it's not true, they're going to say, no, it's not true. Right. So, yeah, I guess I'll just land on. We don't know. We don't. It, it's right. It, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. say he's 100% innocent. I'm not going to say he for sure cheated on her. I'm going to say we don't know. And the show makes it seem like maybe there's a little bit of knowing and that she knew or something like that. But we'll just say that we don't know officially. There is. And again, I forget if this is season one or season two, but. There's the the club that he goes to with that guy that he's like navy buddies with. That might be season two, I think, but I'm not sure. Yeah. And then and then they go on the he goes on that on that tour on the ship and like they're going to the all the islands in the South Pacific and like they save those those dudes in the boat. Oh yeah. And like the whole time his like buddy, his best pal that he's like always hanging around is like writing all these letters. And sending them back to their lunch club. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like all of his extramarital exploits. Right. And that girl is a waitress there and is hearing all these letters being read and then approaches the wife. And so like, was that, was that all? That that was at least partially true, right? Because they say that, oh, he and the, he and his wife split up or whatever. That, that one, I don't know what the letters per se, but the, the, the other split up where the guy, the lady files for divorce while her husband's over with Prince Philip. That was true. That did happen. Okay. And in the, the show turns that to highlight, you know, showing his buddy in a bad light. Is Prince Philip up to similar activities? The show kind of takes that and runs with it. Right. But in real life, all we know is, yeah, yeah. this dude, did his wife did, he was cheating on his wife and she fought for her. All, all we know is that, that that guy was going wild in the South Pacific and was right. with Prince Philip. And so, that yeah, while there's yeah. no evidence that Prince Philip was necessarily doing the same stuff, like they were best friends and they were in the same place at the same time. And so right. maybe, maybe right. something happened. But, but yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, the other one, I always thought this one was a bigger one because this is even maybe more knowable potentially. So they make a big deal of this is the season where Prince Philip is pushing hard to get Charles to go to the same private school that he went to because he had yeah. such a formative experience. And in the show, maybe even beyond the season, they just make a huge show of Charles being absolutely miserable and despising his time here well they they flash back to prince philip being treated basically the same way but he right considered it a net positive i guess right right well he right because he kind of saw it as oh that's what like that's what made me the man i am like you know i i went through that hardship and you know kind of rose above a type deal whereas charles was like no this is bullshit i don't want to be here like and almost even like yeah re- resenting his father for years even after he's out of the school for having sent him there I would, oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. no charles has actually responded specifically to the show on this 
Oh, really? And he's basically said, oh, I quite enjoyed my time there. And See, again, but that doesn't that doesn't really mean anything, because I feel I, like I if, get he, that, if he but... enjoyed it, that's what he's going to say. But if, if it did happen like it was in the show, he's going to save Faye. He's not going to... Like, the royals can't just come out and say, oh, yeah, like, my dad and my mom, like, the queen and Prince Philip, they really screwed me over when they sent me to that school where I was miserable for, you know, my whole childhood. Like, he can't say that. But you can split the difference and say it was tough, but I think it was good for me. He doesn't. He didn't say that. He said its toughness is overrated or over-exaggerated or whatever. What is it? I wrote, yeah, the school's toughness is exaggerated, and he says he loved it. You don't have to say that if it was, you know what I'm saying? That's not a cover. That's going above and beyond a cover. Yeah, because you have to make it believable. You have to, you have to, so, that, so that when they talk about it on the History and Film podcast, that there's no room for them to say, you know, that it was it was uh, shitty for you. Old Charles <laughs> always having us in mind when he's talking to the press. Yeah. And, now, and then the other interesting thing I saw, and I never even thought about this, he was the first English heir apparent to go to school. What? They'd all been privately educated at the palace. For centuries. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, and that's that's actually uh, that's a uh, like a, a kind of a big deal in the show is the queen kind of feeling. Uh, I kind of forget. Was she just forget think it was unnecessary and that he can just do it here at home? Or I thought she wanted to go to school. She wanted to go to a different school. No, I'm, uh, right. She right. She wanted him to get the education. But I'm saying she feel like when she's talking to there's certain people when she's talking to and I. Again, it's been so long since I've seen the show, I can't think of any specific examples. Just one of her advisors, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but she's like, oh, I like, I didn't get an education, and that's kind of like a big deal. They make a big deal of it in the show, that she didn't go to school. She was only taught, like... Etiquette and protocol. She's C-3PO. Right, yeah. yeah. And, and, she, and she speaks a lot of languages, but, n- like... Over six million forms of communication. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and no yeah you're right she she basically feels ashamed of her lack of education which is which is tough because it's not her fault she is really smart she was a willing student that just wasn't part of that wasn't a priority for them so yeah she definitely wanted charles to go to school and obviously we've talked about even like queen elizabeth the first being crazy well educated but the fact that it was all just you know at home with private tutors for centuries and that prince charles was the first heir apparent to go to school just something i hadn't really thought about Another big one in season two is Margaret's relationship with uh, the photographer, uh, Tony, Anthony, Anthony Jones. They call him Tony, but mm-hmm. that so that was interesting. So I, I did a little re- research on here. So their courtship and marriage is pretty accurate uh, in real life. They did a good job of when they announced the engagement. The press was like, wait, what? Like, no one had any idea right. outside of the family. No one had any idea in real life that they were dating until they were engaged, uh, which for the level of scrutiny that you know, royals have always been under, that's kind of <laughs> impressive. I think they basically knew mm-hmm. he was at a lot of functions she was, but it's basically she'd always be at these parties and there'd be like 10 guys there and they didn't know which one she was dating. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Well, and based on the way that they portray her in the show, like, you wouldn't. Because she right, was kind of the flirtatious. Type of person yeah. who would go to a party and just like hang out with her boyfriend in the corner. Right, like, right. She was like, it doesn't matter who's here. Like, right. I'm the I, life of the party. Yeah, yeah. So the big thing in the show that they kind of uh, have a big, a big headline. And this this was kind of interesting because it is there was a real life inspiration for it, but it's a little different in real life. So it's the picture that Tony takes of her where she he she pulls down her dress so low and kind of takes a picture from the back that it basically looks like a nude right. picture of her and it gets kind of plastered on right. the fronts of magazines and it's kind of the scandal. So that kind of happened. 
He did put out a picture of her. It was a little higher up than the picture in the show. And she was also wearing like mm. a necklace and an earring, which doesn't sound like much, but that goes a long way to making you seem more clothed or like you're in maybe some formal attire with a low cut dress. So there was a picture right. that was does not seem to have been hugely controversial like they show in the show. Oh, okay. But but it it is similar. It, it is a picture where you can't see her clothes, but it's also higher up and she has jewelry, so it doesn't it's not as provocative. But right. he did take a picture very similar to the one in the show after they were married. Mm. So it's kind of they kind of combined two things. He did take a picture mm-hmm. before they were dating or whatever that was not too provocative and then took a provocative one after they were married. And the show kind of combined those two things for the inspiration for this episode. So that's probably the kind of thing I think when the people are saying like, you know, don't use this show as a history lesson. I think those are the little things why. So they have the broad strokes, you know, someone's all relationship dynamics. Yeah, they're getting a lot of these things right. But at the same time, they're also inventing a lot. It is a television show, and I think that's what we should we should recognize. But I don't think they're inventing a lot whole cloth necessarily. Right. The uh, the one other thing I was going to mention, and this actually probably gets more into later on because Margaret and Tony don't get divorced until later. But just so I don't forget to mention it later in case it's less of an issue next season or whenever that comes up. When they get divorced in real life, it was the first British royal divorce in 400 years because it had been since Henry VIII that any royal Nuh-uh. had gotten. Yes, that actually, as far as that high up, the side I saw read was saying British royal. I don't know how far down that goes. That might be pretty much well, kind of yeah. immediate family, but still. It claimed it was the first British divorce, royal divorce uh, since Henry VIII. Yeah, because I feel like <laughs> going back to the uh, the genealogy discussions that we've had before, I feel like just about everyone in the UK, if you like go back far enough, is descended from some sort of royal. Well, no, right, so. right. So I think, uh, yeah, specifically <laughs> the ones that probably have prince or princess in their title or king right, or queen. Yeah. Right. So once yeah. you're down to a duke, maybe it's a little different, but yeah. I don't, I don't know what you're right. I yeah. don't know what ex- where do you draw the line. Where is it the royal family and when does it become kind of more extended? Because like you said, or we've talked about before, that we're all probably related. Or we're all probably even ans- or descendants of Empress Matilda yeah. and stuff like that. Right. Well, because like, there's like, you know, third sons of third sons of third sons. And, and like eventually it gets to where you're just basically not royal even at all because of the way right. that marriages work. And, like, even someone like George Washington was, like, technically descended from right. royalty. And could trace it. Right. But was I, not yeah, royal. I, right. I think it's, like, yeah, I think it's, like, his, one of his, like, mothers or grand. there's a useful charts video on it. Oh, okay. But they, he talked, I think it was, like, one of, one of George Washington's ancestors could actually trace generation by generation back to Edward II. Okay, Which I think yeah, it's kind yeah. of like that's that's kind of interesting that like you know the yeah the, the first president of the United States is technically descended from royalty. Oh well, I mean, I was I was thinking the useful charts guy was even going back to it's like all but one president is descended from royalty. Oh really? And 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 it's uh the one who's not is like uh Martin Van Buren because oh. he Van Buren is more of like a Dutch name, and so like he right, was yeah yeah yeah. Because I'm pretty sure, yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure Van Buren's parents maybe even didn't speak English or something. Like he was a, he was like he was born here, and obviously that's why he was oh, president. But he was like, like a fir- yeah, first generation American though. Yeah, yeah, of like Dutch descendant, uh, Dutch ancestry. So they mm. weren't. He's like the only president not that you can't trace back to. Yeah, just because we can kind of. I don't know. I don't guess. Anyway, what we're we talking about. <laughs> 
Oh, another president, uh, JFK. The, the Kennedys. <laughs> another president. Yes, we get to meet the Kennedys. That's, I, I was, that's kind of an interesting dynamic, too. Where is this the season where we see... Who does she hit it off? Uh, Margaret, again, I was thinking she hit it off with... Uh, oh, that's oh, that's LBJ in a different episode. Is that me next season? That's probably, next, that's probably yeah, season yeah, yeah. three. That's, okay. That's, uh, yeah, because that that is... Um, Helen Bottom Carter. Helen Bottom Carter. Yeah, Hits, okay. hits it off with LBJ. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's right. Because she, she goes on her, her tour of the U.S., that's just, I think that's season three. We'll talk about that next um, time. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a uh, season two where we meet JFK and Jackie Kennedy. Yeah, and this is something that like I guess I I maybe had heard of before, but never really thought about or realized. Um, and I obviously wasn't alive in uh, the sixties, but oh. everyone in the world apparently was obsessed with Jackie Kennedy. Like the whole, not even just the United States. Like she, it was almost like, and they kind of do parallel this with diana in the later seasons but like everywhere she goes just everyone's stoked to see her it's almost like she's yeah. royalty <laughs> i was kind of peripherally aware of that but uh, yeah i guess i didn't realize it was worldwide i knew she was it was definitely kind of that same obsession we saw with uh princess Di and little, even a little bit with like michelle obama when she was kind of first first lady and stuff like that but yeah jackie kennedy definitely had that air about her and i'm not i'm this not is sure kind of like the first it is I think it's kind of a combination of like young hip JFK first lady, relatively young, yeah, right, young hip first lady plus the advent of technology that allows more access to the White House and the first, you know, the first family. So it's True. she's kind of like the prototype for a celebrity first lady. Right. That's true. You think about you know the Kennedy Nixon debate was the first televised presidential debate, and then you get into now TV is everywhere as, you're, as he's going into office and, you know, getting sworn in January or whatever, 61, and she's young and stylish, and of course the media is going to eat it up. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of interesting, though, that, like, even though she was kind of the first one, I don't think there's really been a first lady since that's, like, kind of had that big-time A-list celebrity status like that, like, in their own right. Like, Jackie Kennedy was oh, yeah. a huge celebrity, you know, even outside of her relationship to JFK. I mean, obviously, oh, I gotcha. the, you know, she's she's the first lady, and so that's why she's, you know, at that level of status. But, like, people were obsessed with her, not like, oh, that's JFK's wife. They're like, oh, that's that's Jackie O. Like, almost more excited to see her than they yeah, were to see yeah. JFK. Right. You know, like, like I said, Michelle Obama's probably the closest, but it's just a completely different time and a completely different thing and not and not near to the level of, of Jackie Kennedy. Yeah, you're, you're, right. you're absolutely correct. Yeah, um, yeah I wouldn't would even know what to compare her to. Almost like an Ava Perón type, maybe, for uh, Argentina. Yeah. yeah. I don't know enough about Jackie Kennedy, though. Like, you can't, I can't picture her like giving any big speeches or anything like that. It was more just like the idea of her. I don't... Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't have like images of her... You know, going to these places and you know, giving some big speech and everything like that. It's more just like her presence in general. People just were mesmerized by. Yeah, she, she's not really. Yeah, she's not known as being an as an orator. She didn't. You know, there's there's no big speeches or or big like even really big events or stuff that she did. It's just that like she was young, hip, attractive. You know, is the first lady and is just kind of like traveling the world, be almost like a. The 1960s version of an influencer, but she's like because of technology, mm. she's like the only one that's able to do it because she's you know yeah. it's not like everyone had a cell phone like all these uh, news outlets and stuff are just she's like wearing these nice outfits and do you know like just kind of traveling around and everyone's like oh man she's so cool 
And she really is like a 1960s version of an influencer. Yes, yeah. yes. I There you go. She was the OG Instagram star <laughs> decades before right. Instagram. You know what I'm saying? Like right. she was, and yeah. The she only was the and the reason girl, that yeah. she's able to do it is because the news cameras and stuff were following her around right. because she's the president's wife. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'd be curious to or ask my mom or something like, okay, well, she would almost been a little pretty little. She was like in grade school when Kennedy got shot. But just as far as like were people like dressing like her and all that kind of doing their hair like Jackie Kennedy and it's just kind of like everyone trying to emulate her from like a style standpoint. Anyway. Uh, and the one I think I wrote down too is that uh, I somehow even missed this in the show, or I don't know if the show addressed this, but Prince Philip did attend JFK's funeral, which I didn't realize. Oh, really? The show even touched on that, but he did come over for the funeral. Yeah, and in, in the show, JFK, who is played by Michael C. Hall, who I think it does okay as JFK. Oh wait, is he Dex- the Dexter guy? Yeah, I don't. I think I, I don't think I realized that. Like I recognize the name Michael C. Hall. I don't think I recognize. That that's who that was in uh, when I watched it. That's funny. Yeah, JFK is is Dexter. Actually, have you seen? Oh, what's the name of that show? It's like a British mystery TV show called Safe. No, that sounds vaguely familiar, but no. It's a show about a guy whose daughter goes missing, and he like has to try and find her. But it, it's set in the UK, and Michael C. Hall is the star, and he. And this isn't just me saying this as an American. Like, I know I'm not probably the most qualified to say this, but I have heard accent experts say that Michael C. Hall does a great job at doing a British accent, like even for an American. Oh, okay. But yeah, I don't know. Just wanted to point out that, yeah, Dexter is is JFK. And and I don't, I don't know if this was how much historical accuracy this is, but it, like Elizabeth seems really upset after he gets assassinated. And I'm rightly so, obviously, but like really upset. Yeah, I th- I think it just kind of just that vulnerable combination. Again, I'm just, this is just speculation. I just think you know that that vulnerability of a of a prominent statesman, and you know, mm-hmm. obviously you know not not deserving it. And she's pretty sensitive to those kinds of things. I think in general, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know how much we touched on it last time, but uh, I wrote Edward the Eighth and the Nazis. Yep, <laughs> I was just gonna yeah the Mar the Marburg Files. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So uh, season two goes a little more into Edward the Eighth's uh, troubled past, or not troubled past, cloud. Uh, I don't know, shrouded past. Basically, the idea that he was a Nazi sympathizer. It was uh yeah, it's pretty pretty hard to excuse uh, some of the things he obviously later denied it, but of course that was you know with the benefit of hindsight of how bad they were, and at the same time. When he was, you know, quote, on their side, it was a time when the world didn't necessarily have the same view of them as we do today with the level of the atrocities. For uh, for, for people who think, oh, like, how horrible that he was a Nazi sympathizer. Number one, yes. But number two, like, there were Americans that, like, there was a big movement right. in the United States that was, like, pro-Hitler, right. pro-Nazi in the run-up to World War II. Y- yes, but... <laughs> Uh, and obviously you don't disagree with this, but ever the eighth is like, you know, visiting Germany in 1937 and giving the Nazi salute yeah. and right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's a, here's a quote. It's a uh, no business of ours to interfere in Germany's internal affairs regarding either Jews or anything else. I'm like, Ooh, Ooh. now obviously that's pre knowledge of Holocaust, but at the same time yeah. they were starting these, right. He was basically okay with the anti-Semitism and the anti-Semitic policies that they were implementing. He's basically like, ah, that's their deal. And then, not just says that's their deal, right. but he disagrees with it. That's their deal. And then he's over there giving salutes and stuff. Like, it was bad. And yeah. it could have been a whole yeah. different world if uh, he had remained on the throne during World War II. 
as someone who was right. at least initially on Hitler's side. And in order to what to what extent would he under undermine the British cause? And there was even concerns of that during the war. Right. Even after he abdicated, right? Yes. He wasn't even yes. the king anymore. And they were still right. worried that like, oh yeah, but he used to be and and he still has like some influence given his position. It might uh yeah, this this might not be so great. There's a concern of basically a Puyi type situation where could the Germans oh. use Edward VIII as uh, basically a, overthrow the British government, install Edward VIII right. as a German sympathizer as the new head of the British yeah. gov- gov- uh, government. Right. There was legit concerns about that because he was a, just a little too much on the German side. Yeah. People give a lot of shit to like Neville Chamberlain for the whole, uh, you know, appeasement, appeasement strategy right. and everything that obviously was not successful at all. But that was more of a, we're just trying to keep, you know, the UK out of a war. Whereas Edward VIII was like, you know, the Nazis are actually pretty cool. <laughs> right, right. Big like, difference. There is a difference. Right. Chamberlain was at least adversarial-minded <laughs> with them. Right. Edward yeah. VIII is like, I think they're doing the right thing over there. Yeah. And uh, in, there, there's one even like private letter someone wrote to Churchill and basically referred to, you know, Edward VIII as quote well known to be pro-nazi and just so like it was yeah it was the thing it was the thing and again i'm not saying he was evil or full on nazi himself but he definitely sympathized with their cause throughout the 1930s despite what happened during the 1940s right well and the uh british tried to cover it up when the pictures and stuff were discovered at the end of the war right the germans were like oh okay this is all locked up and it wasn't until the first of the files wasn't released until 1954. So nine years after the war, it took for them to like even, and then it says the entire volume was published in 1957. Which fits into the timeline of our season two here, yeah. With further files released in 1996. That's just, that's so crazy to me. Yeah, there's always so much of the monarchy trying to protect itself. Yeah, and well, and that's that's the kind of stuff that like when Charles comes out and says, oh no, I actually, you know, quite enjoyed my time at school. Or, you know, Philip says, oh, I never, you know, was unfaithful and you know oh look my my personal secretary even says so it's like yeah how but like why should we believe it like this is the kind of stuff that you like i gotcha this is indefensible how hard the guy's not even king anymore how hard is it to say yeah this guy you know he kind of sucks and he you know was down with the nazis like that's the kind of stuff that you're going to cover up and go to such great lengths to cover up why are we going to believe that anything that you say that's you know in defense of yourself is true (laughs) that's why it's like okay Maybe maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but like I don't, I'm not just going to take your word for it. <laughs> no, right. There's there's definitely a a uh, decades long or sorry centuries long policy of kind of this not just neutrality, but always trying to be impeccable and as neutral on everything, and we're not allowed to even have opinions on anything. So if anybody has been shown to have an opinion, right. we're going to squash that. So you're right. Whether it's like. Nazis aren't so bad, or my school wasn't so bad. Yeah, well, and also protecting the reputation and the image of the royal family at all costs, no matter what. Which is something that's, like, kind of uh, has been, obviously, at time of recording, like, recently kind of a, a big deal with the whole Harry and Meghan, you know, talking to Oprah. Oh, right. Talking, talking a lot of shit on the royal family. And the royal family is not happy about it, <laughs> right? <laughs> Obviously, but it's like one of those things where it's like they're only doing that 
because now they're like not royals anymore right and yeah there's and there's always kind of at some point they cut their losses when you look at like prince andrew being tied to jeffrey epstein so they basically have cut him out of right any yep. role at all uh and that reminds me i was seeing something about so there was a big talk of so the the queen is insanely popular even even in like a scotland say that's you know talked about you know do they want to withdraw from the united kingdom and be an independent nation you know but even they kind of approve but then you look at like Prince Charles polls like 20% lower than his mother. And I forget if that was just Scots or Britain in general. So the idea of, yes, we're keeping the monarchy as it is for now, but do people want it to continue in the same way under Prince Charles, who's not near as popular as his mother because of a lot of things we're saying as far as just how they're viewed in the press and how they defend themselves. And she does a good job of staying neutral, but Charles has a track record of being a little more vocal with some of his policy beliefs and yeah. they don't consider that appropriate. And then anyway, the, the one thing I was reading is, and this is just one theory someone was throwing out there that the way that the public might be more on board with the continuation of the monarch monarchy post Elizabeth II would be if a King Charles shares a lot of duties with Prince William and maybe William is the face of the monarchy while Charles basically does nothing but kind of talk to the prime minister once a week or whatever, kind of like we see them doing the show. And William is the one doing yeah. all the ribbon cuttings just from a PR standpoint that everyone's going to like that better just because Charles doesn't, he just isn't particularly popular. He just kind of never has been. Right. Well, and we'll probably have this discussion on a future episode about, you know, in 30 years when the queen dies about the, no, 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 no. About, oh. uh, you know, whether or not the UK should have a monarchy and the arguments for and against. Oh, right, right, right. Yep, yep, yep. So we'll, we'll have that discussion fleshed out. But I do think that as long as Elizabeth II is alive, the monarchy's not going anywhere because, like you oh, say, she's sure. very popular. And if there is a time to transition away, to try and to transition away from the monarchy. Uh, I was going to say abolish, but transition away sounds a little more tame. (laughs) (laughs) Transition away from the monarchy. Like, yeah, it's I don't think it's going to happen while Elizabeth's alive. I think you have to wait until Charles is there. Then maybe you can get more people to say, "Uh, you know what, maybe, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, you're and We'll get into that more later. I I, I don't think it's going right anywhere i think i think it's just too ingrained and it's so benign well so relatively benign at this point that and again a lot of the stuff we've talked about it's like we talked about this before a lot of these things is their family's private property so even if you say okay we're not going to say that the parliament is beholden to the queen anymore that's fine that's still their family's property well it belongs to the crown oh i gotcha so if there's no more crown then then i gotcha then what Okay, yeah, it, it, and that's and that's where it's tricky. That that's a tricky extrication right. to try to make, and I think I used yeah. extrication correctly. <laughs> it just it it gets it, yeah it, it does get tricky when the the person is the state. Yes, like, yes, which is kind of a whole idea of a monarchy, right? So where do you where do you make that distinction? Like obviously, obviously, you can't come and sit, you know kick me out of my house because this is my prop like it's it's my personal property. But it's like well, right? What about when I'm the government? It's like right. well, I want to. I want to get rid of the government part, but then you're still a person. I don't know. No, it, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's a unique, unique dynamic. It does get tricky and and messy and yeah. So okay, <laughs> this has been our discussion of <laughs> season two of The Crown. <laughs> uh, and again, again, we we really are just kind of in, in our own uh, transitioning away from world history into 
uh, American history. <laughs> so we just enjoyed this show and thought people might want to hear our thoughts on it. I don't know what we're doing. Uh, we're having fun. Yeah, we're having fun. <laughs> Have fun with us. Dang it. So, <laughs> yes, uh, we will continue this on with uh, season three next time. So stay tuned. See ya.